0: Hello everyone, this is Coach Aaron Saft and the Running is Life podcast. The following episode was recorded on the Run Elite show by Andrew Snow. He's a fellow coach and runner, a great friend, and a really good interviewer. Um, his podcast channel has, gosh, um, tons of subscribers and he does a great thing and he's just written a great book called Run Elite. Um, I suggest picking up a copy. I'm going to put all of the uh, the links and um, everything in the show notes. Um, the book is on Audible, um, but I suggest picking up a hard, hard copy. There's a lot of things in his book that are just wonderful from mindset to training, just so many great things uh, from so many great coaches, just a really comprehensive book um, on run training. It's fantastic. And uh, this conversation, I wasn't sure where it was going to go, but there's just so much in here. Andrew asks so many good questions, and we talk about so many things, and he gives his input, which is just uh, fantastic. So um, I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Andrew. Uh, And after that, I'll catch up with you guys and uh, conclude this episode.
1: Hey, Aaron. Hi. How are you, Andrew? (laughs) I'm pretty well. Um, So you're in the middle of quite a feat of ultra running, the Grand Slam of 100s, four 100s that are spaced roughly a month apart each, yeah, and three down.
0: Three down, yeah, three down, it's been quite a summer, Um, it didn't start off as I anticipated, you know, everybody looks forward to racing Western States and I was the same and uh, Western States was a really rough day, I don't know, um, can't explain much why but, you know, it just seemed like everything went wrong and I was just problem solving all day. That said, I I still had a positive experience because I really enjoyed the course. Um, I enjoyed being out there and just was really grateful for the opportunity. So um, I got the finish and uh, was able to continue the slam and then the next race was supposed to be three weeks later at the Vermont 100 which uh, was cancelled due to all of the flooding um, which really threw a spin into the Grand Slam because the first race happened before Western States so we had to wait about almost 10 days before the Grand Slam told us what to do. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, uh, they had previously used um, Burning River in Ohio as a backup race. So um, Burning River actually offered us a discount code to register. So I figured, you know, well, this was a previous, why not, you know, just sign up. They're giving us a discount code, you know, hopefully I can use this one. And they came back and told us we could use any race we wanted, any hundred we wanted this, you know, this year to compensate for not doing Vermont. So um, the only uh, caveat was we had to approach the race and ask them if they were okay with us using their logo on our trophies because the race logos appear on our Grand Slam trophies. Burning River said they were not okay with that. They wanted a written agreement with the the Grand Slam. Um, So um, the Grand Slam said, you're going to have to find something else. (laughs) So I reached out to Scotty Coomer at 10 Jump Miles, And um, it it was kind of the advice of one of the other runners that was in the same situation. He had reached out and Scotty had let him in, so I did the same, and Scotty let me in. Um, There were, I think, three of us uh, that went to the Badger 100. It starts in Illinois and finishes in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And we did the Badger 100 in in the place of uh, the Vermont 100, which gave me three weeks to Leadville 100. And I just finished Leadville, just came off of that last weekend. Um, it was a, a beautiful race. I really looked forward to that. Um, it was challenging in so many ways, with altitude and um, just trying to beat cutoffs. Uh, it's you know, it's very much a running race. You have to really run that race, and that's what everybody kept stressing, which created some stresses. You know, there's trying to get through hundred and making sure that you're you're on time. Um, you know, basically the lowest elevation that you're at is nine thousand feet. And you go up over Hope Pass, yes. which is over 12,000 feet. Um, and it's now back, so you have to go back over Hope Pass, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> which was really challenging. Um, but I'm you know, happy to say I finished that one, and I'm on to Wasatch, which is um, now less than... Actually, it's two weeks from today. Um, so going wow. to Utah in two weeks to, to race Wasatch for the, the finale
1: of the, the slam. Awesome. Um, <laughs> when you had to make that shift from Vermont, did they give you a time frame? Like you have to get in... 100 before the Mm. official third one they didn't uh they said you could do it anytime this year um but in kind of
0: in the fashion of the grand slam i wanted it to be done you know in the the time frame that usually is the grand slam which is over the course of the summer from june to september beginning of september so um i think they were allowing people to do one afterwards um they didn't really quite state i I didn't ask because i was just gonna you know try to get it done in that time frame so Mm. Um, there are six of us left out of the 17 that started the slam. Uh, so uh, Leadville took out three, unfortunately. Uh, there were three DNFs from uh, from Leadville. Leadville had a really bad attrition rate. We were it was a 44% finishers rate out of 845 starters. Um, see, so it's a really big race, like mm-hmm. very tough. Yeah, so um, amazing to see there was um, multiple athletes with. Um, amputations. So, um, I met one of the gentlemen, um, above the knee amputation, met another gentleman double above the knee amputation. Um, really amazing stories, you know, um, unfortunately wow. neither finished, but you know, uh, the one was in the lead man, the one with the single leg amputation. And he, um, he was in the hundred mile mountain bike race at Leadville the week before doing the Ironman, uh, excuse me, the, uh, lead man. And, uh, somebody clipped his tire on one of the scents and he crashed and broke a collarbone. So he was, uh, you know, <laughs> poor guy. And he was still out there. He's still out there going for it. Yeah. Um, it was, it was incredible. Like so many cool stories, you know, just so many really cool runners and stories and it was very motivating. Um, Ken Kluber had a great, you know, speech at the beginning, which just really resonated with me about, you know, paying your debts, um, which is what got my butt going at halfway point. Cause I sat there and just, a moment of uh, you know doubt I guess because it was you know it was really so much to get over let um, hope pass mm-hmm. I was just exhausted um, legs were cramping um, fatigue is setting in and I was just you know I was at a low point and I sat there and, and Ken said you got to pay your debts and what he meant by that is you know we owe it to um, others that have sacrificed for us to be there you know mm-hmm. my, my family the family time it took to train, the finances it took to get there, my crew for their you know commitment to me and being there, like they were waiting for me in Twin Lakes, you know about 12 miles away, and well, you know when I thought about that and paying my debt, I said you know I got to get him out of this chair. It's not going to be me that's going to take myself out of this race. It's going to be if I right. time out. Um, so I made every effort to get back up and over. Uh, I think I actually ascended back up to Hope Fast. Faster than I descended <laughs> to the aid station. Oh, really? um, wow. And so I made up some time and, and I made up a lot of time on the backside, but I think I went a little too hard. So, what
1: mile did you approach the ascent each way?
0: So, it's about mile um, 42 um, on the way out, mm-hmm. and then uh, maybe 44. Um, well, no, yeah, it's, hold on, let me think. 38, it's 38, yeah. So, it's 38 because it's 12 over to Winfield that's the turnaround point and then 12 back. So uh, 12, 12 and a half. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's quite the climb. It's, you gain about 3000 feet over the course of four miles on the way out and then something pretty similar on the way back. So it's, it's pretty intimidating. Um, and it's a lot of two way traffic at that point. That's when the race mm-hmm. leaders start coming back. So it, it's kind of moving aside and you know, it, it really is a lot of disruption. On the way back, uh, probably a little over, maybe half to three quarters of the way back, that yeah. I finally saw the last of the runners coming over, and then it was you know kind of clear sailing, so we can kind of concentrate again. It, a lot of times it was just kind of looking up, you know, just making sure you're not in somebody's way.
1: Yeah,
0: um, and really so, like looking up that almost a thousand people. Yeah, mile, yeah, it's know. it's I mean it's steep, it really is. And then at that altitude, it was. On the way, um, on the other side, it was hot too. It was, you know, it was it was pretty hot because it was, you know, just after midday. So it was a lot of factors there, and everybody was just like you can tell the people like myself that wasn't as acclimated, and you know, having to pull over, and I was just drinking off my bladder and and trying to take some electrolytes and and make sure I was okay. You know, just making sure the heart rate didn't get too high. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you talking acclimated for the altitude or yeah, uh, both? Both. both, How did you get acclimated for the altitude? Um, I, I really didn't have the opportunity to. I got there Tuesday. You know, people were asking, "Did you get here early?" And I was like, "Well, Tuesday was the best I could do." <laughs> <So> <laughs> yep. I, I really, you know, it's, it's it's hard in this land because there's you know there's so many travel logistics. And it's really hard to sacrifice a lot of time to you know to go and, and get acclimated. Um, Utah will be between five thousand and just under ten thousand is the highest point. We're nine thousand nine hundred and something feet in uh, in Wasatch. So, you know, some pretty good altitude there still, um, not as much or not as hard, uh, and you don't say as high as you do in Leadville, mm-hmm. um, but um, but yeah, I just you know I was just relying on my fitness <laughs> just to kind of carry me through, mm-hmm. um, and just hoping I was recovered enough from Badger. Um, you know, I could tell my legs were a little tired. Yeah, you know, they didn't have as much pop as they usually do, and that could have also been attributed to altitude. But um, yeah, it was, it, it, overall I was I was pleased with. My ability to to run as much as I did there and, and get through the course, um, I was ahead of the twenty five hour mark. Twenty five hour or you the big belt buckle, um, I was ahead of that for a long time up until about Hope Pass, <laughs> and I was glad I was because that's
1: probably the difference in yeah. you know what my finish was. Um, I did, they cha- did they change that in the past? What did it used to be? A twenty four that's kind of like a standard Yeah, I don't know. Um
0: I don't know the I mean they on their website they have a really good history of the race and I bought a book that's um a history of the race and they update it each year with finishing results. So it has like every year. So this year was the fortieth anniversary hmm. which was pretty cool. So I ran the fiftieth anniversary for Western States and the fortieth anniversary yeah. for Leadville. Perfect so year. It yeah, all, all cool together. year. Yeah that was pretty cool. So um but yeah I don't know if they changed that. Um the thirty hour cutoff is it's tough. That's a tough cutoff um, you know, for a lot of folks. And I was really surprised by how many first timers there were in the race when we went to the previous meeting and they said, how many first timers do we have? And the amount of hands that went up, I was very it's, surprised because yeah. that's a, that's a tough first hundred.
1: Yeah. So, but it's got, uh, aside from Western States in, in the United States, is there, I mean, in my head, I think that's probably like the second most in demand one. Would you agree?
0: Yeah. Uh, and there's a few that are growing to be, um, probably right up there with those, um, I would probably say that, um, High Lonesome is becoming an event that people are, are seeking after another Colorado
1: event. Um,
0: and Hard Rock would be another oh, yeah. one. Yeah. yeah.
1: All right. So Hard Rock, when you're climbing up Hope Pass and feeling the, the deadness in your yeah. legs, like at a low point, um, you did Hard Rock just last year, wasn't it? Uh, two years ago. Two years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so how did that climb, come? Compare because you got more pre-fatigue going into this yeah. one. Yeah, um Hard Rock was, you know, the nice thing about Hard
0: Rock is the cutoffs are so lenient. <clears throat> you have yeah. like forty plus hours to finish that one, mm-hmm. um, and so it wasn't as stressful. And I think that's what the combination was was just in the back of my mind, just making sure that you know I was going to get in under that thirty hour cutoff for Leadville. So it was, it felt more pressing. Um, whereas Leadville or excuse me Hard Rock, I just felt like I could you know take my time. At, like I knew I was fine on time. Like you know I was well ahead of everything, so like I didn't feel that stress. But it, like during Leadville, I think everybody kind of felt that stress. There wasn't a lot of chatter like you normally find in hundred milers. Like people didn't want to talk; they wanted to focus. There wasn't a lot of headphones. Um, you know, everybody was really intent on their race and focused on their race, which rightly so. It it was, you know, it was one of those races where if you took your mind off of it, you could be wasting some time. You know, if you weren't focused on what was going on, you could slow yourself down just because you weren't doing what you needed to do. So Mm -hmm. I didn't wear headphones. Um, you know, you could you you couldn't pick up a pacer till you got back to Twin Lakes, which was mile sixty eight. Um and then you could have a pacer to the finish. Uh, which was really nice because, like I said, it was just so quiet. I mean, you know, there's people around, but like I said, you know, a lot of people just didn't want to you know, talk for long. And, and, you know, we were all doing different things. We all had our own race strategies. So it was, you'd stay with somebody for a little while and then
1: they would disappear, <laughs> you know. So, okay. wow. Um, I had hiked to that um, about 10 years ago, uh, the Colorado Trail, mm. and going over Hope Pass. And sure. I remember this one moment where, I didn't run while I was out hiking for like four weeks, but I got to this point where I looked at a map and saw, it was right around in Leadville, there was like this water supply, like a little lake that was two miles down this hill. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I'm going to take my pack off and run. I haven't run in like three weeks and I feel good, like altitude what? And I took my pack off and and ran down this two mile stretch that was like okay because it was downhill and thought I could run back up and just like insanely gassed (laughs) like I'd never been before just because of that altitude and not being used to it. So going up to 14,000, like multiple times in a hundred, um, I can like barely imagine what that's like, <laughs> but, uh, recovery from those, it, it's like listening to, to you here. It sounds like that one is kind of like where it's like starting to, get. Mm. not that it wasn't real before, but like recovery is kind of like major right now. And that yeah, really took absolutely. a Absolutely. Yeah. And I went to go
0: see, um, uh, Miriam's loom yesterday. Yep. Um, muscles were definitely, um, the source they have been uh, and i attributed that to that descent off of Hope Pass um i was really trying to get in before dark um i had watched a youtube video from um hella he's a, a you know kind of a youtube <laughs> sensation um awesome runner he did western states this year as well um but he had a video it was his first 100 it was leadville and i had watched his video and just to kind of get a sense for timing and aid stations and he got back to Twin Lakes um, from coming down Hope Pass in the dark, and I wanted to get back just before that because he was set up really well for the finish. And I was like, all right, you know, if I can get just before that, I'll be set up really well for the remainder of this race. So that was my goal: was getting down uh, without having to turn and my head. And this was the on. first or second time. This was the second time. Okay. So coming down, so that four-mile descent of 3,000 feet of drop. Yeah, I was booking, and yeah. I think that's what really you know got my my quads. I felt it like mile ninety. My quads were like, well, we don't want to run right now, <laughs> yeah. so it, it it became a challenge at the end of the race, and that, that's what I felt the most. So I saw Miriam yesterday, my physical therapist, and mm-hmm. you know we went through things, and you know, she kind of just combed through the muscles and kind of made sure everything was was good, and they feel much better today. Um, I did some, some good movement yesterday with my cross country kids. We did some mobility stuff and I did it with them and feel much better. So just doing some walking right now. Um, just trying to, you know,
1: create that mobility and kind of flush the muscles out and just get the blood So ever since Leadville, Mm -hmm. it's been just walking, recovering and walking. walking. How about leading up for the next two weeks? Um, listening to your body yeah
0: listening to my body um, you know it's I have uh, a coach in Patrick Reagan and he um, you know he said this this next one we just recover you know whatever the body needs and you know I communicate that more to him and just say you know not ready <laughs> or you know I'm good so usually I mean what it's what I've typically seen is about 10 days and my body's ready to run again um, I've done seven and I can tell I'm not quite there yet Um, able to run but the paces are much slower and so it's about 10 days where my paces start to get back down to normal um seen that in hrv too (laughs) looking at hrv scores i can see Mm -hmm. like you know recovery scores it's about 10 days so that rule of thumb that a lot of people say you know take a day for every 10 miles you raced it's it's pretty pretty close (laughs) so uh, this amount may take me a little bit longer uh, and I'm okay with that. Um, as I was telling you, I've got a trip to Italy, so um, mm-hmm. it's you know I'll be I'll be happy to just run around the Amalfi Coast <laughs> and enjoy the scenery. Um, there's not much obviously fitness I'm going to gain um, in this next few weeks, so it's just kind of maintenance yep. um, and not overdoing it <laughs> is the big thing. You know, just trying to stay healthy. Um, I don't feel anything right now that's problematic that I'm worried like oh you know I got to be careful about this. Uh, you know, like even though, uh, like I said, I had some cramping and stuff like that. The the needling yesterday really helped, kind of get me going again. Yeah. Um, muscles feel pretty good, so we're getting there. Yep.
1: Okay. Uh, so physically, um, you know, you've run two hundred miles, even so, I, I have confidence in you that you can just hammer it out physically. <laughs> but if we bring it back to the mental, and then even a step before that into like the emotional, are you looking forward? to being at the tail end of this and having like the next one be the celebration? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm
0: not looking through it, I'm looking at it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, each one has its own challenges and they've all presented something unique. Um, You know, Leadville, obviously, they had some really unique challenges and and Utah will as well. Um, It's like, Utah's gonna be the most temperature swing Um, daytime could be 90, nighttime could be 30 or below. Um, So it's, you know, it's got a lot of challenges for gear. And um, the other part of of Wasatch is that crew access points are very limited. There's two in the first half and one in the second half. Um, So, you know, it'd be a lot of drop bags and reliance on drop bags, which is fine. I'm prepping for that. Um, But, you know, looking at each of those parts and trying to analyze what I'll need, and you know what to uh i guess you know estimate (laughs) uh what's what's it gonna you know take at that point what do i need and you know do i need certain gear do i need certain food um so just prepping for that is you know that's that's a challenge too um so um yeah looking at it and saying what do i need to succeed um and then yeah, it's it's exciting. It's the last one. Um it, we have thirty six hours for this one. Mm-hmm. Um it's you know, it, it is a, a hiker's course. There's a lot more vertical gain. This one has the most vert of any of the ones I've done, um, uh, which is my favorite. <laughs> yeah. So I look forward to that part of it. Um so yeah, it's it's gonna be a neat one.
1: <laughs> uh what's the gain on this one?
0: Oh this one <clears throat> I think it's twenty it's around twenty five. Um, I'd have to look up the exact number, but it's it's around 25000
1: Okay. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about your training, especially the, with ultras. I mean, if you look at some of the great ultra, uh, I'm thinking of contrasting Camille Heron and Giannis Kourou right now with their long runs. Mm. And, you know, Camille, she does regular 20 mile runs i think every like 10 day cycle or so but pretty high volume but not long runs that are like crazy long unless she's racing Mm -hmm. versus Giannis, who would do like never more than i think he said like 12k in a session but would race huge races like pretty frequently so the difference between high mileage with sort of long long runs Mm -hmm. or very long long runs Mm -hmm. um what have you found his and not just with the grand slam but over the last like several years or so. Yeah. Uh, In your training, can you talk about comparing those two? Sure.
0: Um, Excuse me. Um, So let me preface this by saying I'm going on 46, (laughs) so my training has evolved to understand that my body can't withstand a lot of the volume I used to do. Um, I've recognized that doing too much volume or too much intensity with volume, my body won't recover as quickly. Um, so what I've done is that if the focus is on volume, then I focus on volume and Mm -hmm. it's my long runs. Um, I've, you know, I had, I think my longest, I had, I had to do a 50 mile qualifier for, um, Vermont. So that was the furthest I went in training. Now, would I have done that 50 mile or otherwise? I'm not sure. Um, I don't think I would have needed it. Um, I feel comfortable in my endurance capacity. So when people look at what they're, what they're doing during training is how comfortable do they feel with their endurance? Um, and that's something I often ask my, you know, my, my runners, like, do you feel confident that you are okay with, you know, doing distance? Do you feel you need that physically and mentally? Is it worth it to take that time to do it and recover from it? Um, and like I said, you know, that 50 miler, I had to do it. Um, Well, (laughs) in retrospect, I didn't have to do it because Vermont didn't happen, but (laughs) (laughs) um, in order to have my entry there, I did. So, um, but I did a 50k in training and I think 50k for me is about all I would have needed um, prior to Western States. Mm -hmm. Um, Just one 50k and then the rest, I'm like Camille, um, I would do a 20 miler every now and again. Um, I'm comfortable with you know, just going out for a 20 miler and and doing that, you know, and not, it doesn't have to, you know, I like Western States, it was an interesting training because of all the downhill. So we tried to make it so that there was a good amount of up and a good amount of down in, you know, my training runs. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, but, um, but overall, no, I don't think, um, I don't think high volume is as, as necessary as, as a lot of people make it. Uh, I think some people overdo it too frequently, and that's what leads them to fatigue and overtraining. Um, and so it's it's very sensible to understand yourself and where you're at and how you're feeling. and be honest with that. Um, if your paces are slowing down, especially look at your volume and intensity, are you doing too much? Uh, those are good questions to ask. Uh, I noticed I was slowing down in my paces, and I, you know, I said to my coach, I said, "Hey, my paces are getting slower. I'm getting, you know, tired and not recovering as quickly. Let's diminish some of the intensity that we have and just focus on the aerobic, because uh, you know, I, I think we're just trying to do too much." Um, so we pulled away from intensity in my training um, and just refocused on the aerobic part of it, and that's when I started getting my paces back down um so i you know and again we reduced volume as well just to kind of make sure i was recovering um and then in between western states and badger is where i really started to find my paces coming back down um and i felt really comfortable again at some of the paces that i hadn't seen in a while so i think i needed that recovery i may have been overtrained for for western i think the block was just too long um so i think i was going at it for for too much time
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you have a, a big background of running you've been running most of your life you ran in college you ran in high school too i did yeah um so i think frank shorter said something like this like that um well he says consistency is key which we've heard before but like over the long term like over decades and he told an, an amazing story a couple years ago where he went into all of his training logs and he just added up all the miles and divided it by the total amount of days for like 20 years and got a number that was like something like 18 or something every day for 20 years. And um, it seems like when you ask your runners, how comfortable are you with your endurance, that perhaps it comes more, I mean, would you think that it comes more from uh, what you've done over your lifetime and not as much as what you've done over this season or even the last like two or three seasons, but like if you ran high volume, for ten years, now you kind of maybe don't need to, and you can do those bigger runs, or even possibly vice versa. It's like they're two components, yeah. and you can't really build both at the same time. Right. So that's where longevity. Yes. Really yeah. Comes in. Yeah. So looking
0: at a runner's history is is really significant, especially in ultra. You know, how comfortable have they been over the long term with high volume? You know, uh, like what and what is their history with ultra? Right. Are they new to it? Are they mm-hmm. experienced with it? Um, because, you know, those that are, are more experienced with it, like they're, they're the ones that like, they tend to overdo it (laughs) because they've been at it for so long. And they're the ones that are like, you know, like I want to do 400s this year. And, you know, it becomes more of a point of recovery rather than finding a training cycle. Um, so, um, yes, looking at the overall picture and their history, I think is a bigger piece of the pie. Um, those that are more new to ultra and new to running, then they may need a little bit more endurance and, you know, you may have to be a little bit more creative with their training patterns, uh, not just kind of throwing a 50 miler in there because you want to force something. So they have that experience. Yeah. It may just be okay. So over the course of you know this week, we're gonna try to include some bigger runs, and that may include a fifty k and a thirty k that we break up over the course of the week, depending on their you know, actually their life schedule. Um, but I would rather see them you know do a bigger volume week than one single volume run. So they they get the experience, they get the volume, but they don't get as much fatigue either um a lot of times i find that the newer runners if i have them go out and just do a, a 40 or 50 mile run it takes them a lot longer to recover from. Yep. And we waste a lot of training time. I don't want to say waste, but we let yeah. them recover so that we don't get them injured or tired. So, you know, looking at the bigger picture and their history is i think it's it's huge.
1: Yeah, i see this with uh people who are doing their first 50k or the first 50 mile or the first 100. Mm-hmm. It's like there's this belief that if I've only done a marathon, I've gotta run a 50 mile before I run 100, and so they like wanna push and do that 50. But there's uh, utility in that, I think, but the recovery is, like you're saying, gonna be huge. But also, there's like something magical in ultras where it's like, what is the limit? You can go 100, you can go 200, I mean, how far can you go? So if you run the 50, and that's your first one, it's probably gonna be the hardest run you've ever done. And then it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, can I really do double that? <laughs> and so I think sometimes staying away from those, those runs that you think you have to do because it's a stepping right. stone and just hurtling right over them and you can just go. And right. in, in some ways the longer stuff can be easier than the shorter stuff just because of the pace. And
0: we do a lot of time-based training um, so that they don't get wrapped up in a number. Yeah. That's mileage, um, and like especially if it's trail running. I don't want them to feel like you know, uh, gotta go out for a twenty mile run. This is gonna take me like you know six plus hours. Like that's a lot of time. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of time on feet. Like I'd rather them just say, all right, I'm gonna go out for a four hour run, and you know, whatever it is, it is. Like I'm gonna just spend four hours on my feet. A lot of times that works out better, from um, mm-hmm. especially for my trail runners, because they're not as fo- you know, they're not as focused on a distance, and they're getting that time on feet. They're still getting good stress. You know, good training adaptation. So, um, and I don't have to recover as much. So it's, it works out a lot of different ways, you know. And they'll say, well, you know, like uh, my longest run, said, but, you know, your longest run was also whatever, this many hours. Like mm-hmm. you spent that much time on your feet. Your body knows, like, what that feels like to be on your feet for that long. Mm-hmm. So, and it's probably at an intensity that was much faster than what they're actually going to do in an actual race. And probably flat,
1: training. too. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Right, right.
1: Yeah. So uh, that's my favorite thing about doing a long run based off of time is I feel licensed to be able to just go up and down hills and get like no miles but lots of vert and if you're trying to satisfy the logbook, you can't really satisfy the vert nearly as much and for races like this that really matters and
0: it's it's I mean Strava kind of creates that too right like they worry what's going to post you know like what's going to be on there and and that's that's something we (laughs) talk about too it's just kind of getting over Strava and getting over what your numbers say like on there it's it's you know, people look at it, they're gonna like it either way. <laughs> yeah, scroll, scroll, like, yeah. scroll. Yeah. yeah, they're not really worried
1: about like how far did you go. <laughs> yeah, probably worried about how far they went. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Strava game. Uh, I mostly have stayed away from that. I'm on it now. Um, I haven't logged into it in months. It's just linked with my Coros. Right. But it was an issue. Uh, I only got on Strava because there was a local vertical challenge <laughs> for a month, and I'm like, oh, that's fun. And I was training for Tahoe at the time, okay. so it's like, let's get in some vert. And I started cranking with the vert like never before. And things were going really well. And um, I was like getting on there daily, looking at the ranks. And it's like, oh, I'm number two. Oh, I'm number one. Oh, I'm number three. And getting competitive. And then going out and doing kind of stupid stuff. Like not even running. I just want to get the vert. So there's this nice hill right here. Right. And I would go out in the evening and put an audiobook on and just walk up and down the hill. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of fun until a mile, like uh, until week, like three, three and a half. And I was out on, like, an easy run with a friend in Black Mountain, and there was this, like, incredible pain uh, behind my ankle oh. that I never felt before. And um, slowed down a little bit. I had to let him go and hobble in, and I strained my tibialis posterior, oh, no. like, really bad. Went on crutches for a couple of days after that. Jeez. Uh, three weeks off. And luckily, I was able to come back and keep training, but that dang injury, it, like... It reared its head uh, like a month ago, and this was like a year and a half ago. And it came from my, it came from the vertical challenge, but the vertical challenge was like this thing that I was trying to do on Strava. And it ended up, if I could change like one thing in the last five years of my trade, I mean, I don't really want to change anything, but you know, hypothetically, um, I wouldn't do that again. Like, get on these challenges. Um, they're kind of fun, but they are. They are. Maybe save it for the race or something. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Uh, I know. It's, it's difficult
0: because there's all the, the segments and people want the crowns and they chase the crowns or see how, you know, if they can PR, uh, you know, they can be good challenges. And and sometimes when people are, when they're, I don't want to say obsessed, but when they, you know, they're really interested in those things, I may include it in like a workout and just say, Hey, you know, let's do this. And then you can chase the segment during this workout, you know, Mm -hmm. because it so service multi, multi Mm -hmm. Um, multi-purpose. I don't do it too often. But I know some of those people are like you know they're really into Strava and you know it means a lot to them, Um, so I try to include those things when I can. Um, But yeah, I'm not I I I don't I don't really do much with Strava myself. Um, I use Training Peaks with my athletes, so I'm on a platform (laughs) enough (laughs) that I don't really want to spend a ton of time on another platform doing something very similar. Um, it's not that I don't want to see what my friends are up to. I can always search them and see, you know, what they've been doing, how they're doing, or I can just text them or call them <laughs> and say, how you doing? <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, it, you know, I, I, understand the platform. It is a cool social, um, tool, you know, um, and it is a good way to kind of track your own. It's a good way to have a training log, a digital training log and kind of record your thoughts. And, pr- and so there is value to it, mm-hmm. but I do think some people use it the
1: wrong way. hmm. Yeah, it's got that kind of longevity. It's been around for a while. Yeah. Um, years ago, I switched. I w- used to run with the Garmin. Then I worked for TomTom Tom for a while and mm-hmm. used that. Now, Koros. So my training logs, they're like this platform. And I got to log into yeah. what's my Garmin password <laughs> from 10 years ago. But right. there it is on Strava. I just go back and it's... Yeah. it's I, I keep it for that reason, too. It's just like keeping track, just a log. Um, right. But that's, that's kind of about it. Um, how have you found sleep? to be critical in in the times between, of course, like more sleep, good. But I'm wondering how much sleep you actually are kind of getting. Mm-hmm. I find that even with serious runners, they get like little sleep oftentimes. Mm. And if you can like really up it, I I see elite runners sleeping almost ubiquitously. I wrote about this in here as well. Um, These are marathoners mostly and some ultra marathoners who really are sleeping 11 or 12 hours a day. And it's like eight or nine at night Mm. plus a nap Mm. because of the high volume. Sure, But outside of the the really like elite Olympic level world, I don't really see that that often. So how does your sleep, uh, do you try to be, are you very consistent? Yeah. And could you speak about that? Sure, sure. Um, my
0: kids just started school again, so, um, you know, it, it creates a habit for me. Um, my daughter has been getting to bed at 9, which is fantastic. And my son, we try to get him in bed, you know, by 10. But usually it's my wife that puts him to sleep because she can go to bed later um, just because she has the <laughs> the capacity. I, I've, I'm pretty tired by 9, uh, 30, 10 o'clock. So I try to be, you know, in bed, laid down. By 10 each night, and try to you know sleep. Usually, um, our alarms go off at 6 a.m. So I try to get eight hours um, during the night. Uh, sometimes, like this morning, I naturally woke up at like 5:15, and my body was just awake. So I usually get somewhere between seven and eight hours a night. Um, in the afternoon, if just before practice, if I'm sleepy, I'll probably get a 20 to 30 minute nap um, if I need it. Um, you know, some days that doesn't work out and some days I don't need it, but, um, I'm on average seven to eight hours plus maybe like a 20 to 30 minute nap. Um, but that's, that's pretty consistent. Uh, I'm a big believer of getting the same pattern each night, going to bed at the same time each night, which is, it's tough when you travel, obviously, like when I went to Colorado, that's a two hour time change and Utah will be the same. And then six hours in Italy. So, um, that's going to be disruptive and, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to do what I can to, to still get my eight hours and it's going to be difficult to come back and then switch into the East time zone for a night and then go to the (laughs) mountain standard for, uh, you know, the next few So So so. that's going to be
1: like, is that an eight hour difference then? Yeah. Popping over. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's going to be, it's going to be, that's going to be a challenge. Um, But sleep is, it's vital. Um, When I was, let's see, it was 20. 2022 was the last year I did Hellbender as the RD. And I was trying to do my coaching. I was trying to train. Um, I was trying to um, coach at the high school level, uh, be a dad, be a husband, um, and uh, and get ready for Hellbender, you know, prep for getting Hellbender put on. So my, my attentions were everywhere. I found myself opening, you know, kind of getting up about 4 a.m., each morning going to bed at 10 getting up at 4 so I was getting maybe 6 hours some nights it was even worse like I'd have to stay up later to get other stuff done um, and I started noticing a decline in my performance everywhere mentally physically uh, it was just I I knew I was burning the candles at both ends and I, it was doing my detriment to myself but I had no other choice unfortunately because of how much I had on my plate and that's what made me realize I was trying to do way too much and had to give up Hellbender because it was just, you know, as much as I loved putting it on, it was just too much for me. And, you know, it, 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 created too much stress, um, you know, mentally, physically, um, and just put too much demand on, on me. So, um, this year, uh, without having to put on Hellbender, it was infinitely better. I was able to, you know, not have to get up so early, not have to do so much. Um, and my, my life stress was so much better. My training was better. So um, yeah, I mean, high school coaching is still a tough demand. It's you know two to six each night, so four hours of my day was high school training. Um, when did you start that? Uh, training the high school kids? Yeah. Um, I've been between, I started the middle school um, probably five years ago. Yeah, I started training at the middle school about five years ago, and then I switched over to the high school um, last year for track. Um, so between the um, you know those guys here, um, I, you know I, I've trained high schoolers previously, but here it was I started with the middle school about five years ago. Middle school is you know a lot less commitment, which like our cross country practice goes from like three to four thirty. Um, but the high school, it's like I got to get there and set things up and get things ready, and then obviously clean things up so it takes a little bit more time with the the track um, and the, uh, the new commitment was winter track doing winter track with the kids so it was winter and spring um, so um, yeah but um, it's I think I think the balance is I get so much joy out of it you know it's like it's mm-hmm. such a, a great part of my day uh, I look forward to it you know it's it's a positive positive piece of life even though there's a lot to it, you know, there's a lot of moving parts in, in mm. running a, a track team and um,
1: coaching all these athletes. Uh, it's, but it's, it's something I enjoy, so I uh, continue to do it. <laughs> so, in a way, you've taken. I mean, you were busy with super busy with Hellbender and everything else that you just said. But now, I mean, you're still pretty busy. That's a four hour commitment most days and weekends. You have meets sometimes, right? Correct. So you're still maybe as busy, like sometimes maybe even more, but. It doesn't sound like it sounds like it's more energizing to you. It is. Because you had yeah. your priorities, you you followed the thing that yeah, yeah lit you up. right. It's, you know, it <clears throat> as I said, it's it's more uplifting.
0: Um, yeah. I find more more joy in it. Um, you know, not that it like I'll say with Hellbender, like the joy came in when people finished. Like that's when the joy came. That was the moment, but the rest of it was just stress. Like it was it was a hard process. Uh, I didn't enjoy the stresses that came along with you know setting up the race and putting it together, um, which is hard. Like you know, it's, it's that should be it should be you know fun and enjoyable, but uh, working with so many entities and trying to put it together was just really difficult, and you know something that I, I really just <laughs> didn't enjoy that yeah. part of it. So. Um, Having track and just really enjoying, you know, I would say probably, you know, 95% of everything I do with track. There's, you know, that 5%
1: always, that's just like, all right, I could do without (laughs) that, but (laughs) I'll deal with it because the other 95% of this is just amazing. And you're still finding time to, I want listeners to hear this too, is like, you're still finding time to get the appropriate sleep, Mm -hmm. seven, eight hours basically every night plus the occasional nap. And I think that's a lot more than the average person gets. I don't know what the average person gets, but I always ask my clients and, It's right. That's that, that would be impressive if they hit what you're hitting.
0: We uh, something we track as well, um, you know, because it, it kind of alerts them. Like, you know, when I say, well, look back at your sleep pattern, like, yeah, it's you know, like that's probably why you're not feeling as great. You know, there's I mean, there's other factors that contribute to it, but you know, when, when we say, like, all right, you just did this huge run, look at the next night, you have four and a half hours sleep, you know, that's mm-hmm. probably why you feel the way you do. Um, so it, it's good to give them that visual, you know, as part of their training log. So you know, if, if you're not tracking your sleep, it's a good number just to kind of record. Um, and sometimes, like with uh, you mentioned, like Garmin, I know Garmin, like it uploads, um, you know, your your sleep patterns um, to the app itself, and then with Training Peaks, it uploads those metrics right up to, to Training Peaks, so we can see that in their metrics. And then my Coros wears, my Sunto wears, um, I just have them look at their app. And kind of just give me a, a
1: ballpark of to you know what what was the overall sleep so you're using coros and Sunto in tandem with each other oh no no no! Uh, i'm
0: just you're saying that the multiple users like my athletes that your athletes yeah they okay. may use you know various watches so um the Sunto and um, coros don't upload automatically like the garmin does the garmin will upload your metrics
1: okay. apple
0: watch does too um but um it, i and like i said i use i use training peaks and that's again why i don't use strava as frequently because my stuff goes to training peaks as well and i can record stuff in mm-hmm. in training peaks myself um just another platform you know another way to do things um however you're comfortable doing it it's you know it's it's up to you guys i mean i know people that I had athletes that were like, "I just write it down." I'm like, "All right, well, just take a picture with your phone and send it to me." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the good old
1: days of the paper log. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you hold on to those? Do you have some from? Oh yeah, ago?
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I still have all mine from yep. from you know high school and. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, my coach gave me my college training logs, which is cool. So cool. Yeah.
1: Do yeah. uh, you ever look back at them and just like kind of pick a run from 20 years ago and see if you remember it I and do. like you actually remember? Yeah. It's yeah. really crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's like trying to find a run that you don't remember is kind of hard. It's, yeah. But you can't like actively pick them out. But they really do stick in your mind. Even just like normal runs. Yeah. Uh, it, can, it enriches <laughs> your life so much. It you know? does. So what would you say to one of your clients if, if someone came to you and you asked them about their sleep and their training and they just said that, well, I get, you know, six hours some nights and it's like five, six and they say that they just don't have time because they're a kid and no, they have kids, not their kid, <laughs> and uh, and they work a lot, et cetera, et cetera. And there's like the list of the reasons why they can't. Yeah. But you know, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. Yeah. I can appreciate people are busy, but it's like where your priorities go. So you, you've shifted your priorities in order I to have. be able to have that energy. Yeah. Um, but but I, what's what's like an initial approach that you take with someone who brings that up? What kind of yeah, digging they, would you do to find?
0: Yeah. Um, I had to simplify and that's I use myself as an example as to how can you simplify your life what is the things that you're doing that take up time that really don't need to and a lot of times that's like um, browsing on social media watching television yeah. you know like it, these I know they're they're great because it's that downtime in your day we all need that downtime but like how much is that really taking up and is that taking up enough time that it could be detracting from your sleep? Mm -hmm. Uh, And are you doing it right before bed? You know, so you've got a deadly combination right there, right? You're on a, a, you know, a blue light device right before bed. So, you know, thinking about these things and what can you cut out? What are things that, you know, can add to your sleep, right? So um, just being more efficient with your time is that's what we look at is, you know, what are those extra things?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, At the end of the day, like before bed, I think... a vast majority of people, myself included, I get sucked into this Is like, you're just on a screen. Mm -hmm. And there's often times where I'll just turn my phone off. Mm -hmm. And even if like the TV's on or something, at least it's far away and you're not really, it's not hyper stimulating, you can turn it off. But trying to do something that is like relaxing at night, like I'll play piano or read or journal Mm -hmm. and I'll tell myself I want to do that and oftentimes successful. But sometimes it just feels like, it do, that doesn't sound fun. It kind of like the other one. It's like just a little bit, and you tell yourself, "Oh, I just gotta check this metric. I just gotta check whatever," and then you're like sucked into it. So, uh, how far back do you rewind that in your day in order to be successful going to bed at ten o'clock? When do you start yeah. changing so, things? Yeah. Um, so, my
0: um, my day is is pretty laid out ahead of time. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm really meticulous about like. What I'm doing and when I have time to do it. What do I need to accomplish? Um, so I look at what needs to be accomplished, set that out for my day, and set my intention to get it all done. And then I fill in and say, okay, you know, I've got a break here. What am I going to do with that time? And then so during that time, that's my my downtime. I may take my dog for a walk. Um, that may be a time I check social media. Um, but having that daily kind of structure it really helps me. And a lot of times my runners say, well, I just didn't know when I could fit in my strength training. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, I say, well, you have to set the intention, right? There's got to be the intention to do it and you have to know when you have the time to do it. So if you're looking at your day and you're setting it up, you know, look at what is mandatory, right? Like time with your kids, right? Time to work, Right, so you've got all of that, and then you say, okay, now I need to fit in my run. Where's the run going to go? That's you know next priority usually, mm-hmm. and then okay, now what? When do I have time to strength train? And you know, I always tell my runners, it, it may be that you have to break up the strength session, and and do a piece in the morning and a piece in the afternoon or a piece in the evening. You know, just do it when you have time like don't feel that it has to be one sit down session i'm not trying to give you a hit workout right like we're not doing a high intensity interval session here with with strength training is let's just get it in when we can um or you know let's move it (laughs) if today is not the best day let's let's move it so um i want to give my my runners i tell them you know your schedule is not concrete right like I, i had one yesterday that was like my, you know, I just, today wasn't the day for this workout. And I said, that's cool. We call the audible. Let's move it. Let's, you know, let's put it somewhere else. Um, and sometimes that's tough. You know, I, I had one the other day that was like, hey, can we move this run somewhere? And I was like, well, based on your week, uh, we can't. Let's, you know, this isn't a vital run. Right. You know, know that you're okay if, if we don't get this run in. Let's just keep moving forward with the schedule. Because I don't want you to be stressed about trying to fit this in when it's just not going to work for your week. So, you know, having those conversations, I think it puts them at ease a little bit more because I think a lot of runners get hung up on that. Like, oh my God, I didn't get this in. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if we're doing that consistently over time, then Mm -hmm. something has to change. But if it's just once, you know, every four or five weeks, that's not the biggest thing. You know, it's not the worst thing. Even if it's just like a long run, you know, like, like missing one long run, because something came up, not
1: the worst thing in the history of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, based on their week. Basically, that's why you know, like a template, a cookie cutter plan, uh, you know, doesn't account for that. And uh, it depends on like the priority, right? So if the Absolutely. priority is number one, then screw everything else, and you get it done. And there's this thing, there's like this mindset that I don't think a lot of runners really feel good about or like adapt long term but it's just like in the culture i call it rocky mindset Mm. where it's like push hard and just grind and just get it done and uh and we believe oftentimes i think that when it comes to it we can grind it out hard and we can push hard but if that's the the tool that we use to get the training done then what about the other things in your life it's like but i'm supposed to be grinding But, like, grinding with what? Is this what you want? If it doesn't lift you up, then it's going to just crash. You're going to plateau. You're going to get injured. Something's going to happen. Sure. So, shifting that focus to like, you're not a runner. You're a person who runs. And you've got to, like, in that hierarchy, um, know kind of what the priorities are. So, when you said when you start, like, for your day, uh, you set an intention and you know what's mandatory. And then I'm not sure how much of it is scheduled but I'm curious with your downtime mm-hmm. you're choosing a block of time that is for downtime and you can allow yourself to whatever mm-hmm. derp on social media as long as you want yeah. like in that time so you're like give yourself permission to yeah and does that take the the pressure off or like the guilt off like if, if someone were scrolling for hours and hours but didn't doesn't want to it, it's like this downward energy yeah but if you allow yourself to for a finite period of time yep it takes the pressure it
0: does yeah um you know I, like I set, um I set a notepad next to my bed, um, Bart Smith gave me this tip because um, I constantly, my mind was whirling at this one point and in time and I was, um, my mind just constantly wanted to think about things that I had to do and I, I was getting restless at night, I was, it was <coughs> disrupting my sleep because I constantly woke up like, oh, what about this, mm-hmm. you know? um so i put this notepad next to my bed and it allowed me to write things down if i thought about something you know like i could just jot it a note down just so i'd remember and then my yeah. my mind would be at peace and i'll tell you over time i've had to write less and less because i've i'm i'm becoming better at knowing you know during my daytime things that i need to do and if i you know, I can write those down during the day rather than worrying about them at night. Yeah. So when I go to bed, um, my mind can stay at, at ease because I know, you know, I mean, there's every, you know, every once in a while something's going to pop up and I'll have to write a note just because like, oh, I forgot about this, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for the most part, it's, you know, it, it's, I have used my phone. I use notepads, you know, I, like I really want to make sure that my mind can stay at peace at night. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's, I think a lot of the times what disrupts us is that our minds are still engaged. Yeah, it's constantly going going because we're not allowing it to rest because we're putting it in this like stimulated state that like, oh my God, I got to get this done. Whereas if you write it down and then you're like, all right, it's written down. You know, I don't have to think about that right now and I'm not going to do it right now. That's for sure. I'm going to go to sleep. (laughs) So, you know, allowing yourself that and recognizing that when you write things down. You'll remember and you'll get to it, but you just got to figure out when, and that's, you know, when I set my intentions, I'd be like, all right, today's the day I got to fit that in, you know, like from my honey to do list. Right. Like my daughter's like, you got to move my shelf. And I'm like, I know I do. Yes, sweetie. I have it on the list. It will get done on Saturday when dad has time. (laughs) So, you know, it's, but you know, it's everything in its place and everything in its time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, that's, it took a long time to come to that and be okay with it. And not just like, you know, everything has to be done today (laughs) for a long time. That's what it felt like is like everything had to get done today. So I feel like I can relax, but there's always something to do. It never ends. It never does not. (laughs) So I had to recognize that, you know, and and come to terms with the fact that not everything can get done today. Um, And once I did, then I was much more at peace, um, much more relaxed. Uh, So, you know, it's, Uh, It's finding your priorities and recognizing what isn't on fire, (laughs) what doesn't need to be put out right now.
1: Yeah. And that's that's taken a long time to recognize. There's this idea of there's four categories of tasks that we can do, and they're either urgent or not urgent. House is on fire, urgent. You know, checking Facebook, not urgent. And there's things that are important and not important, like time with your family versus whatever. Sure. And then the cross-section of all those. So there's like four and without capturing things and writing them down, it's really easy to let the things that are uh, not important but urgent, that's like the category that will rob you of of your time, but but that energy, because if it feels urgent, you're like (laughs) stimulated, hard to sleep, I gotta do this and I didn't, these small things but they're not really important. And by like capturing them, uh, I use the term capture because um, there's this course uh, that I took a couple years ago from Tony Robbins, which was great. It was It's called Time of Your Life, okay. and it teaches you how to basically do what you're talking about here. Um, take all of the things that you wanna do in your life in the different categories and how to actually like get them done so you're not dying and you're doing the things that are important. And there's this thing called the capture list, which you can use for the day or the week. I have a, a weekly capture, so like on the weekend when I'm with my girlfriend, I uh, just got this piece of paper that I start writing down, just as you said, when th- something comes up for work, mm-hmm. Instead of talking about it incessantly, which sometimes I still do. <laughs> Sorry, Anna. Um, <laughs> just write it down. And then Monday, when Monday comes around, I've got this list. And it's like personal things, maintenance of the house, running goals, client things. And it's like everything. All mm-hmm. this discombobulated. But I don't have to worry about what were those 10 things I thought right. about. It's just all right there. Yeah. And then, then you can just use that as a list to start checking things off. But the there's like even more power in you in doing what you said you do next is like knowing what the priorities are. So you can of course batch those things. Um, but then knowing what the main outcomes for different areas of your life. So those like main outcome for running and for with clients and administration Mm -hmm. and oh wait, I, I, no matter how busy I am, relationships still important too. So the relationship like date night or whatever it is gets put on there. Even if it means all these other admin things that would be scrambling your brain, don't get done. And like putting, scheduling those, scheduling the time for those. And then what I found is like a lot of those other capture items, all the small things, you carry them over from day to day to day or week to week and keep writing them down and they never get done. And so it kind of shows that a lot of those things, they weren't really that important. Sure. And if you carry it over for week after week and you still didn't do it, but nobody died, it's kind of like either <laughs> do it or let yourself off the hook, get rid of it. Or, or even outsource it. Yeah. yeah. Do you use any kind of outsourcing, um, virtual assistants, housekeepers, anything to just kind of like leverage, give you more time and take those things away? Um, I mean,
0: the, I use um, the, my Google Calendar, you know, uh, that's that's probably my, my biggest tool between that and the, the notepad. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like, and then I use Calendly um, for my call schedule. Um, which just allows me to send my runners a link, and then they can schedule calls with me, um, rather than you know trying to create like a, mm-hmm. a call schedule and they're emailing me and trying to coordinate you know all this and that. Um, so uh, I've been using a lot more um, digital tools to to help me stay organized because Calendy goes right to my Google Calendar mm-hmm. as soon as they create it, um, which is really nice. Um, so you know just trying to be more efficient with um, you know what I'm better at and that's just the coaching piece, right? Like rather than you know say this, that and the other thing and have a million different things out there, it's it's nice to have one place for you know scheduling calls and then that goes to my calendar and you know, I can just look at my calendar for what's going on and usually I add to my calendar like you know, oh, got a podcast with Andrew, you know so and then and then I can see like where my calls are and then I know what practice time is and you know so that's that's kind of how I fill in my day. Just looking at the calendar and making sure I, I plug in everything, you know, that's on there. And then if I forget, obviously it's gonna be somewhere else on a piece of paper that says, Hey, don't forget, you got this <laughs> and yeah. then I can kind of add it. So yep. But um, now just using those digital tools, you know, kinda of helped me in that way. And, and training peaks has helped a tremendous amount in that as well. And I keep coming back to that. I have <laughs> got no real affiliation with training peaks, it's just the platform I use, like I said. But yeah, communication through there is fantastic and I try to talk to you.
1: The link below. Give right. your errands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So,
0: um No, it's, uh, you know, my athletes, they can communicate through there and I encourage them to like, sometimes they'll message me and I'll be like, Hey, let's, you know, this is appropriate just to keep in training peaks, just so we have it in one place. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to forget this, you know, like, because if you're sending it to me in like Facebook messenger, for instance, it's in a totally different spot and I may forget. It's Mm -hmm. like an athlete, you know, text me the other day, Oh, don't forget, I'm on vacation. I was like, Well, you know, that's something you can put into training peaks as a note to remind me. Otherwise, like this text, you text me while I'm in Colorado. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I may not see this and remember you know, so you know but thankfully the person texted me again, um, and said, Just remember and so I just reminded them, Yeah, it's it's cool. Just, you know, like I said, add a note to training peaks. that's That's what it's there for. So um, the using each piece to its fullest capacity is, you know, I try to encourage people to, to use the technology that we have in that way. It's easier on both ends and more organized and a little
1: bit more fluid. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Let's go back to the, the grand slam. And just talking like from a broad level, um, top level down like 30,000 foot view, how has, you're very experienced as an ultra runner you've been at this a long time and you've done some some major things um, how has this pursuit just changed you just internally about how you view sure this life running yeah
0: um it's interesting because uh, you know having a, a competitive background I didn't want that to be a piece of this like there was there's there's the goal of finishing it obviously which is a competitive piece but I didn't want my um, my history with running to become too obsessive <laughs> in in this process um, because I wanted to enjoy it, you know? Like, And if I went into each race being like, oh, I need to run this time, you know, like I just felt that was going to diminish the experience. And who knows if I'll experience any of these races ever again. And so I wanted to, you know, just really take that opportunity and just step back and say, let's enjoy this. And that's, you know, the way I approached Western States, as I said earlier, Um, you know, would I have liked to have run sub 24 and got that silver buckle? Of course, that would have been awesome. But that wasn't the day I had. And like, I knew that going into it, that there was the possibility that that wouldn't happen. I recognized it. And when the time came, I was okay with it because I had recognized that fact. Um, When Badger came along and I was in like, I was in like seventh place overall and I was moving up and I was like, do I need to be moving up with Leadville three weeks away? And the answer was no, (laughs) I didn't need to be moving up, up, you know, so I just realized that and I was like, back off. That's okay. We're not here for the purpose of getting, you know, into the top five, into the top three. That's not what my intentions are. Um, and then with Leadville, you know, obviously like I talked about like trying to get the sub 25 buckle again, like if I had the day, that would have been great. But, you know, like when I went up Hope Pass, I quickly realized like it would take a lot to, to stay on that pace. And I was like, that's not what I need to do to get to Wasatch healthy and ready to run. Mm-hmm. Um, so just staying present in each race was something that was, you know, I really had to be cognizant of. Recognizing, you know, there is another race behind it, and that's really hard. Like, because you want to be present in each race, but you also have to remember that there's one to follow. Um, Now, Wasatch being the last race, the you know the goal is to finish. There, there are all these really cool buckles for different times and stuff like that. But again, the intention is you know finish, get to the finish, um, whatever that takes. And that's you know that's 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 a new intention for me is you know just finishing, whereas. You know, in the the past, I I will say like, you know, UTMB, um, Hard Rock, the goal was just to finish, Um, uh, you know. And I think as I've gotten older, I've become better at saying it's okay just to finish this. It's, you know, like when we were in mile... 200 of bigfoot <laughs> and morgan said to me he's like 10th place is right in front of you i said that's nice <laughs> you know as uh he's like dude if we can just throw down some 10:30s you'll catch 10th place and i said 11:30s is all my body got man like i told you i just want to finish this thing you know it's it's uh, like, I recognize that 1030 was just, it was too much, you know, like I was pushing myself too much and it was, you know, it wasn't the right thing to do. <coughs> so as I've gotten older, I think I just got wiser about, you know, what my body has and what I can do, um, and not over pushing it so that like I can enjoy, you know, the next few days with my family and, mm-hmm. and not be totally trashed and worn out and, uh, you know, worse human being and worse father. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, Uh, but I've grown to enjoy it more that way. Like I really am enjoying the process. I'm enjoying each race. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to Wasatch. Like I'm looking forward to being out there and, and sharing time on the trail with, you know, my fellow competitors and with my, my pacers. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it brings me great joy just to, to do it. And I think the biggest thing I found was that when we strip it down, um, like, all the way down to the nitty-gritty, you know, when I strip it down to where I sat at Winfield halfway through Leadville, and I was just kind of in despair, like, like, what am I going to do to get myself out of this? I recognized that, you know, at the bottom of it, it's just love, like, all about love, like, um, you know, when when debt hit, uh, and when I said I got to pay my debts, it was, you know, the love not only for, for running, but for my family, for my friends, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not just doing this for me. Um, I'm I'm doing it for a bunch of others. I love this sport, you know. I love doing it. I love running. I love being out here. I love the outdoors, um, you know. But I really, truly, I love my family, and you know the the things that it shows them, the possibilities, and the way it makes them feel too, like their their pride in me and their joy for what I do, you know, their celebrations of it as well. Um, so it's you know it, that's what really struck me was uh, was that you know the feeling of the you know that i get from running
1: and from what it brings Mm -hmm. but what about the time on the clock (laughs) Uh, this is amazing i want to dive deeper in with this because uh i just love this um you said that you're looking forward to wasatch Mm -hmm. and there's this this feeling that we get as runners sometimes that you finish a really hard race and you get that that thought um that i'm never why do i do this and i'm never doing this again and that kind of diminishes I think over time if you stay in it but it's a common emotion that a lot of runners feel sure it's like you question why you're doing this and when you finish the race even if you did well you're definitely not looking forward to the next one mm-hmm. at least in some fraction of the population and you just finished doing something really difficult like maybe the most difficult one thus far sure and you're looking forward to the next one mm-hmm. but had you been like going for the time even if you hit the time uh, it w- it, who knows it, but it would probably sure. be a different game. Yeah. So like tapping into the love is what gets you to look forward to the next one. And that is what get, what gets you to do this grand slam, mm-hmm. right? No, totally. If you lost touch with that.
0: Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's exactly just right. four races otherwise. But when it's, right. when
1: you're like expanding yourself yeah. So, like tapping it's, into that emotion right. is, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the passion, right? It's the passion for the sport, the, the yeah. love of,
0: of running, the love, as uh, I said, of being outside of just experiencing this, of, the camaraderie that you gain from being with your fellow runners and seeing their struggles—yeah, all of that—it's you know it's it's so powerful. And when you recognize that and how much you love doing it, it it becomes a different piece. It's um, you know it's I, I, for a long time it was times I, I chased times I chased marathon times I chased you know fifty mm-hmm. mile times whatever it was. Um, you know that was that was big. But at the heart of it, when I recognized that it was. I just love this sport. I love running. I love where it brings me. I love what I see. I love who I meet. I love, you know, the time I spend with people on the trail. Like I love the places it takes my family and I. The experiences that we have outside of, you know, the races themselves when they get to travel to Lake Tahoe and spend two weeks and have a blast and have experiences of a lifetime. My, you know, my father says to me all the time, you're just making these wonderful memories for your for your family and for yourself. Yeah. Um it's something you can't, you know, you can't replicate or take away or you know, where else can you do that? I mean, yeah, we go on family vacations and stuff, but Man, I mean, just the the memories that they have, you know. My, my daughter, she tells her friends all these stories and stuff like that. And then they're, oh my gosh, you did this and that. And <laughs> well, maybe that was a little bit <laughs> blown up, but it's cool to you know to share those experiences. And my daughter meeting you know, like Courtney Dewalter after she you know won Western States. Uh, yeah, so cool. yeah. So she got a picture wow. with her, and it, it, like you can't, you know, like I said, you just can't replicate or you know, yeah. take away those experiences and. Uh, yeah so recognizing just how much you love it and if you don't love it it's it makes it a lot harder you know mm-hmm. if this is just something that you're like I just want to check it off it makes it tough because when you get to that tough moment and you really have to go deep and decide like why am I moving forward I mean if you're just like trying to check a box it's it, I mean <laughs> that's that's really tough like yeah. you're, you're gonna have a hard time finding the reason to keep moving forward um So really find that intrinsic value, Uh, you know, what's, what's it going to be that's going to keep you moving forward. And yeah, that's what, that's what got me going. was just, uh, I recognized, all right, man, like it's, there's a lot more to this than just your, your pain at the moment, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, it's, it's a tough place to come to though. It really is. It's a, it's a tough thing to recognize because some people don't love running and I I understand that, um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it's, it's quite the powerful thing. And maybe you can find something else, you know. I mean, I was, you know, raising funds for the, the Challenge Athlete Foundation at, uh, at Leadville. And um, that was, you know, that was amazing. We talked about earlier, you know, seeing these amputees and stuff. And mm-hmm. just incredible, incredible athletes, incredible people, incredible stories. You know, I, I had uh, a bracelet on from Olivia who um, got a wheelchair. She had spina bifida or she has spina bifida and they gave her a racing wheelchair, um, the Challenge Athlete Foundation. So that's, that's where funds go. And when I recognized like what I was raising money for, that became huge as well. And just looking down at that little bracelet and I had her picture in my mind, it just, you know, it brought a smile on my face. Mm-hmm. Um, so these little things, you know, it's, it's, but it all comes back to love.
1: Yeah. Well said. <laughs> uh, that's beautiful. I've found, it, and listening to your story here, it's, it sounds similar to a journey that I've been on with like racing track, racing on the road, and it is about the time, and there's other experience in there as well. Sure. But shifting to ultras seem to be, I don't know which one came first, but in the ultra world, um, it's, I think that it's maybe easier to get more in touch, even more in touch, not that you can't the other ways, but even more in touch. And like being out in nature, having the crew, like when your family's there, the family support is nice, but it's not like critically important in a half marathon. Right. But out there, like it brings you closer together. (laughs) Um, I got goosebumps at this. (laughs) Uh, So did you find that like transitioning into more serious ultras was when that, that shift of like, of your why into more of the love of like, was it, was birthed and then nurtured? No, is that yeah, true? yeah. I, like, um,
0: because when I got into ultra, it was still about competing. Um, you know, I, I really still wanted to be competitive, and um, but then as my family became more and more engaged with the process, with the races, and you know, being out there, um, it it did change a lot. You know, like it became like oh, I can't wait to get to the next aid station and see my kids or see my wife. You know, like that was it became a different. Like, you know, it, it was at, like, first it was like, oh, man, like, I just got to get to that next aid station so I can do this, 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 this and then keep going, right? Like, then it evolved to, oh, I just, you know, I can't wait to see my wife. I can't wait to see my kids, you know? And then um, now it's just like, you know, uh, it's, it's just a cool experience anymore, you know? Yeah. Like, it, I mean, yeah, I'm still looking forward to seeing my family at the next aid station. But, you know, it's it's also, like, enjoying the journey, enjoying the, the in-betweens, Cause I think sometimes I forgot about that, you know, when I was racing was like taking in the scenery and and enjoying the the moment and being in the race and being grateful for the opportunity. Um, and that's something that's really kind of grown, um, more and more important to me is just, you know, expressing my gratuity and expressing my gratefulness for all the blessings that I have and all the places I go and everything I see and just being grateful for that, um. Uh, it's 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 changed my mental process um because instead of like being in the moment and thinking about you know oh my gosh like i'm only at mile wherever you know i think about wow look at this like you know it's, this is so you know it's so beautiful like i don't i don't think about the mileage anymore i, mm-hmm. I, I think about where i'm at and look around take a moment to to recognize yeah. like I'm in the middle of Wisconsin, <laughs> you know, like when on earth would I be in the middle of Wisconsin running through, you know, a cornfield <laughs> yeah. and just take the moment and, and recognize that I, you know, I've got this great opportunity that I've been afforded and I continue to do it. Um, and I just want to continue to do it. So that's, yeah, that's the big thing. It's like, you know, thinking about like, especially in the day in, day out, like what's going to keep me going? Um, what do I got to do to keep myself healthy? Um, and so
1: yeah, it's, it's changed, it's evolved a lot, you know, that's, but it's taken a long time. <laughs> how did that mindset of sort of like letting go of the competitiveness and being in the moment and not chasing the time as much, being aware of the time but not chasing it, and go to Leadville, where you're trying to get off of a vote pass mm. before nighttime, yeah. which means you got to be looking at the clock yeah. all the way up until then, which was the yeah. you know majority right. of the race, um, and those seem like they could conflict.
0: Yeah yeah no absolutely um you know um i would say that you're right like the the time it was it was definitely like one of those things that everybody kept stressing right like it was it was all around you you were surrounded by it but i had to stay in my moment and recognize my needs at that time or else i wasn't gonna continue right like what was going on? What was my body telling me? I had to recognize the signals that like, I think I'm a little bit dehydrated, you know, oh, I probably need some more electrolytes. Oh, maybe I need some more calories, you know? So looking at all of the little system checks, right? Like going through and kind of making sure that helped me because I was like, I'm doing what I need to do to make sure that I get to the finish line rather than just saying like, oh my God, what's my watch reading, right? Like I was, rather than that, I was looking at myself and saying, you know, are you doing what you need to stay on that? And you know, just letting my body take care of the rest, because I was taking care of my body. If that makes yeah,
1: sense. Yeah, yeah. So having the goal, and that goal is a time, a certain place on the course at a certain time. But like stepping behind that, yeah, and knowing that the the way to accomplish that is by still taking care of oneself. Yes. Right. and that is the way to yeah run fast.
0: Yep. And so it, rather than worrying about how fast I was going, I
1: was worrying about am I taking care of myself so that I can run. <laughs> How about the emotional component? So that's the system checks, mm-hmm. but the way that you're feeling, um, also stepping behind the time on the clock yeah. and knowing that that is there, even for like a road marathon or something, but then stepping behind and doing the system checks, the checking in with the, mm-hmm. yourself yeah. so that you can, you said letting go, what did you say? Let go of the competitiveness and enjoy this. And that also being a key to not just enjoy it, but also that can be the key. I would say that it probably is the key to actually run fast and it's kind of like letting go of running fast in order to run fast and but once you let it go it kind of like doesn't matter uh but talk can you talk about the emotional sure component of the letting go
0: um you know like this one was really tough because it was um you know beth wasn't going to be there my wife Mm -hmm. um uh, so like that was you know that was a, a huge piece that i had to really keep in check uh, I get I get pretty emotional <laughs> when uh, you know I think about my my wife and my kids. Um, that's that's a really huge emotional draw for me. So I really had to keep that in check and remind myself because a lot of times people feel guilty when they're away from their families. You know they're like I'm taking time away from my families. Mm-hmm. Beth always gives me the okay. She says you know I don't want you to get upset like. We are okay. We want you there. You know, we want you to do this. We're all cheering for you, which in turn uh, gives me the right of way to say, let's, let's go and race. Let's go do this. If I didn't have that support, I probably would have a lot harder time with finishing, Mm -hmm. especially when it got hard because I wouldn't feel that support. But knowing that I have, my kids are behind me, you know, they're like, go, go finish this dad, like, you know, get this done. Um, and especially having my wife's support, like those are critical, you know, to to my emotional state. So that's yeah. the foundation, you know, having that ability to know that I'm okay to be out there, I'm okay to be racing and taking this time, you know, errand time, if you will, because <laughs> yeah. it's not family time, obviously. Um, that's that really does help me. And then, you know, keeping my emotions in check. Um, you know, it, it gets difficult, obviously, at times. Like I said, at, uh, at at Winfield, that was my most emotional. I was definitely, like, I was really hard. I was looking around at everybody else, and they're in a really bad state. It was the most drops they ever had at that aid station. There were so many people that were pulled because of altitude sickness, mm-hmm. um, dehydration. Um, so it was a really big year for, for people going down there. And at the aid station, everybody was sitting in chairs, cramping, just, you know, ugh, just moaning, you know just like you heard a lot of people just talking negative and I was yeah. and that's yeah. when I thought like this isn't going to be good like emotionally physically like I'm not in a good place right here like I'm you know there's too much negative negativity surrounding me yeah. and that's when I recognized I got to move I got to go like this is time to move and that's when you know I thought about that that statement and um <laughs> And so it took me a little while to collect myself, uh, getting out of that aid station and going back up to Hope Pass. It, it wasn't like things turned around quick. I was really still struggling physically, mentally, you know, emotionally. I was still, I was, I was taxed, you know, because I had really had to drew draw a lot from myself to get back going and get back up. And people started, you know, like there were some people that ran right out of there, and I was just like, that's not what I can do right now. You know, I want to. But it wasn't physically possible. My legs weren't there. And I recognized that. And I was like, Mm -hmm. but what do I need to do? Like, I did everything I needed to do at that aid station. But what do I need to do right now so that I can get back to moving and can get back to feeling better? And so, I, you know, I, I just, again, went through myself and took care of those things. And then because i took care of myself my emotional state started to come back around i started to feel more comfortable and and be like i can do this i can get back up i can i can get back up to hope pass Uh, you know i'm feeling stronger and then all of a sudden i was like okay let's jog and i was running and i was like oh uh, you know i'm able to run at you know these grades that i wasn't able to run at earlier my legs are coming back around and that's what really spurred everything you know physically emotionally i was just you know, another 180 I won't say it was the last one <laughs> but it you know it was it was definitely a 180 for every piece of me yeah. uh, it all came together you know as emotionally physically everything turned around and I was able to get going and get back up hope pass um but yeah it 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 took a lot and it was just kind of recognizing where I was and not trying to force anything um because forcing it wasn't gonna help
1: mm-hmm uh, there's this this saying that I think is from Jim Rohn that says, stand guard at the door of your mind. Mm. And just because there are things happening around you, like maybe you runners who are really struggling, but being really, like the struggle is different from the negativity. That's, I would say, even a choice. And standing guard at the door of your mind means like, what are you going to allow into your psyche? Because yeah. that we can control that. Maybe you can't even control the leg cramp or the course or whatever, sure. but we can control that. And your decision to sort of not allow those things into your psyche when you find yourself surrounded by that. Um, It's like asking yourself, what do I need to do? But it's like, what do I need to also not allow in? Yeah. You know, to just cultivate that centeredness so that you can keep going. And like when you lose that, that's when you can get in that downward spiral and the self-talk. Yeah. But when you stand guard at the door of your mind, it's like no matter what happens, you can, there's a belief that I've found very useful, that everything is always happening for me. Um, so even if you were hurt or thrown up or whatever, it's like, well, at least I'm thrown up. I weigh a, a pound lighter. That's two <laughs> seconds per mile <laughs> per pound. Yeah, I'll finish faster. It's like just finding it. And not just like pretending that you find it, but actually cultivating the the internal state of what is this experience to me? Yeah. And sometimes that does mean uh, like a letting go. and. It's, it seems amazing to me in a race how pervasive the, that those thoughts can kind of be. One of my clients spoke to me yesterday and she had just run a PR on the half marathon. And uh, there was one of her her like her friends who's like a, a, a rival, I guess. Um, she always thought of this other girl as being much faster than her because she was. And at mile whatever it was, seven or something like that, she caught up to this girl and she was had all this negative talk like complaining about this and... I hate running, and I think a lot of runners do this. Like, in, They think it's ingest. Not ingest, but like in. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and, and so, my client, she she ran by. She ended up finishing like well ahead of her. Uh, because she said when she heard that, she knew that that wasn't for her, that she couldn't run with her. Mm-hmm. And like, God bless her, but she's in her own space yeah. and I need to cultivate right. this, this good feeling. And the result was that she ran a really great race. Sometimes the result might not be, you might blow up whatever, sure. but it like it is the way to the fulfillment because time mm-hmm. on the clock or not, she was very excited about it, <laughs> um, that she had done so well and cultivated. She wasn't, ex- she was kind of excited in a token way that she had beat her friend, um, but mostly about who she had become in order to be able to do that. And 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 cultivating that that focus, I think, is a very high totally. level yeah. thing to do. Yeah, you got to
0: recognize negative space. Um, I was it was early in the race, and I was um, I was kind of in the Congo line. We were going around Lake Turquoise, which is very early on in the race, yep. Yep. and um, there was there was a runner that pulled out poles like super early, and that was not very cognizant of where the poles were going, <laughs> which was putting me in a negative space because I was more concerned about the polls and this runner than, you know, what was going on around me, um, or myself for that matter. <laughs> so, um, I recognized that I was like, this guy is putting me in a negative space. I'm not liking the way my emotions are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I removed myself from that situation. I, like I stopped and went to the bathroom <laughs> and okay. let him get ahead. You know, I yeah. caught him again at the aid station and then you know, I, I, it was a nice section. I just ran, mm-hmm. got my space from this runner and never saw the runner again, but it removed myself from that situation because I, I recognized that I was starting to gain negative emotions. And I was like, I don't like this headspace, especially mm-hmm. this early on mm-hmm. in the race. So yeah, just recognizing what you're feeling at the moment and, you know, t- removing yourself from that situation, however you need to do it. I think that's, you know, that's something you have to get better at because mm-hmm. if you stay in that space, it just starts to, like you said, spiral.
1: Yeah. And there's two ways to get away from it. You could drop back or you could sprint ahead. Right. Yep. And uh, I've tried both with myself. And the problem is with with getting ahead and leaving that person behind. is Like, oh, shit, if I can't maintain this, you're kind of worried that they're going to catch you again and you're going to be pissed right. off again. Right. And so there's even a blessing in this that by letting them go, it's like you're also more likely to like move towards a negative split. Like be more conservative with your pacing. And that when if something, keep something in the bank so that if something does come up later on, you have the ability to run away from it. Mm -hmm. And, um, that choice between either dropping back or going ahead is an interesting one. I think it takes maybe experience or discipline or just self-knowledge to choose the dropping back one. Right. Because it feels better to like be higher up. Oh, it
0: does. It does. I was so early in that race. I really wasn't too concerned with, you know. (laughs) Losing a few seconds or minutes, you know, but like yeah. it, it was also time to relieve myself. So <laughs> it worked out well. It worked out well. yeah. See, everything's working out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All
1: right. Um, so let's close it off here with just looking forward into um, what you're going to do when you're wrapping up. It's, it, it honestly sounds like you've got the everything that you're You've set out to get, it's like you've already accomplished before the end of the thing is done. And it's this really cool script flip where oftentimes we think we need to get something in order to feel something. And it's not just in running, right? With relationships, finance, spiritual development, whatever. Sure. If I have this, if I get the million dollars, if I get the pretty growth, like whatever it is, <laughs> it's like then, if, if this happens, then I'll feel a certain way. And... You've already, like, the feelings that you're after, you're already experiencing them. Yeah. In the races and along the way. Yeah. So, it's like, the when, when you get to the your fourth finish line, it, it almost, like, doesn't matter because you've become, you have the feelings. Because if the outcome is to run those races so that you can be, whatever, accomplished and um, all these things, right? But you already have that. So, what happens from here? Like, are you, this is already a success when it's done? Um this gets kind of like open where does it go well so i think part of it is that like any way, which
0: way it goes any which way it goes uh, you know if if i had a dnf god forbid at, at wasatch i'd be okay with that like uh, like some people say that you know but i recognize it's a possibility like that mm-hmm. can happen and it's i have to be okay with that too i mean yeah i'd be upset of course there's no you know, that's human nature but like it's a possibility So, you know, recognizing that there is possibility for success and failure is part of this. You know, like, you have to understand that there's, it can go either way. Um, but that said, like, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that I can have the most successful day, right? Like, I'm doing everything I can to control the controllables. And if something uncontrollable happened, then, you know, I have to either try to address it or, you know, accept the consequence. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when, when I look at this, um... It's not. Um, it's not to say that I am successful or unsuccessful if I finish. Like that's part of it too. Like I am happy that I had the opportunity. Like not a lot of people have this opportunity to be able to do a Grand Slam. Like you know, it, it takes a lot, you know, like time commitment, finances. Yeah, there's all the logistics of it. It's really challenging. So like I have to recognize that too. I mean, as we talked about earlier, there's only six of us left out of the seventeen that started. Yeah it's hard. Like that's part of it, right? That's part of the challenge and accepting that challenge and recognizing along the way, like, Oh my gosh, I've I've done so many cool things already. So, I mean, you know, three out of these four races, it's like, I mean, I've already done some amazing races. And again, just going back to being grateful and just saying like, I'm grateful for all of that and saying, I'm grateful for the next opportunity and just, you know, going into the race saying, okay, like I'm, I'm here, I'm in the moment, and just staying there, right? Like, if I'm, if I'm in mile one, that's I'm not thinking about mile two. Like, I'm in mile one, and I have to say, let, let's get through mile one. <laughs> so just taking it step by step, just as we do in life, right? Take it step by step and keep moving forward. Um, you know, Just do everything you can to make sure that it's you're going to stay positive, right? Like, what's what's detracting from you at the moment? Just like we just talked about. What are the negatives? Like what, what's, what's bothering you? You know, how can you get out of that? What do you need to do to stay into that, that positive and that positive frame of mind? And what do you need to do to keep moving forward? Right? Like it's, it's not asking why it's asking what, what do I need? Not why am I doing this? <laughs> that should have been established a long time ago. Right? Mm-hmm. Like when mm-hmm. people ask like, why am I doing this? That should have been answered a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just ask, what do you need at that moment? Right? Like asking a better question, asking a better and, question. And that
1: shifts your mind. Yeah. Why am I here? Why does this suck so bad? Yeah. What can I be grateful for? It's right. Just like the question you ask yourself brings yes, it in. It does. It, it frames it. Yep. Wow. Um, fantastic way to end this. Um, the last things that you just said about um, being in gratitude and being present to the moment and tapping into love and staying positive. It's like these things, you hear these in every walk of life where someone is very, not just successful, but fulfilled. And there's a major difference, uh, but being having success and fulfillment, these are like common things, and you've like tapped into this very well. Um, Thanks, man. So, uh, thank you for sharing your journey with us. Um, it's inspiring. I love so much, like honestly, that you you uh, have become this kind of person that I know you. It's, it's like it's not. It's for so much more than it's the art of running. It's the fulfillment through running, and I think that if we made it to the end of our life. Being very successful, but not being being fulfilled, that seems like a failure, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so focusing on this fulfillment is not easy to do because sometimes you have to let go of the, the things that the mind wants. And um, it's inspiring to hear your story. Thank you. Thanks, Thank man. Thank you so much. Thanks. Would you like to uh, share your where people can find you? Oh, uh, sure. I'll follow you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me on Facebook, um, Instagram,
0: just look, Aaron Saft. Um, that's my socials. I'm on Strava. Um, if you want to follow along, ask questions. A lot of people ask me, like, "What are you doing? Why are you doing it?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my website is um, Running Is Life dot um, and um, yeah, yes, yeah, follow along on my podcast too, Running Is Life podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: There's a dot run. If we can do that. Yes.
0: That yeah. Isn't that cool? <laughs>
1: <laughs> didn't even know. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much. Absolutely, Andrew. Here. Thank you. Okay. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care.
0: I want to thank Andrew for interviewing me once again. Um, again, follow him. Um, Andrew Snow on YouTube, Run Elite. Um, he's just got a lot of great stuff. Uh, he's a really you know dynamic person and really loved being his friend. So uh, really enjoyed that episode. So thank you, uh, Andrew, for letting me have the recording so I could share this with my listeners. So I hope you really enjoyed that. Give Andrew a follow. Uh, as I said, I'll have everything in the show notes. Um, this episode, um, I am pre-recording cause, uh, as this releases, I am over in Italy <laughs> for my brother's wedding and I will be traveling back on labor day and then heading, uh, to Utah almost, uh, the next day <laughs> for the Wasatch 100 to try to complete the grand slam. So, uh my next episode will be with Thomas Brown and we talk about Wasatch pre-run, you know, everything that um we can think of, you know, the course elevation change, um, you know, all different things. We uh, they actually have a list on the um the Wasatch 100 website, which I'll I'll link in the show notes as well. Um on that episode, that talks about the top 10 reasons people DNF at uh Wasatch and what we're doing to plan to uh, mitigate that. So uh that'll be our next episode here. Uh episode uh oof, I think it's going to be actually it's 186. Uh so um man, it's uh there we're approaching 200, which is super exciting. Um yeah, so that's our next episode coming up. Um everything else, you know, recovering from Leadville, it's it's coming along. Um, this is a week, I'm recording this a week after Leadville and I went for a run with my wife today, about three miles. We walked one of the big uphills. Um, you know, that was, it was good for me and it was good for my wife cause she's been having, um, a calf problem. But, um, other than that, you know, it's, it's coming around. I'm doing well and I'm really looking forward to Wasatch. Um, and, uh, you know, just, uh, finishing up this series after Wasatch, I'll have a post-race, uh, commentary uh, for the following episode, and then um, yeah, we'll probably get back together with Thomas and just kind of talk through the whole Grand Slam. Talk about what we learned, what it, you know, what what it put us through, all that kind of stuff. Share some memories and and thoughts. So um, yeah, we'll be wrapping up the the Grand Slam. So. Um, I hope all of you are well. If you have any questions or comments, um, please you know let me know. Uh, the show notes have how to communicate with me. If you have questions about coaching, anything, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. Understand that um, it's uh, during this time. Obviously, I'm traveling. Um, I probably won't take on any new clients until after Wasatch, uh, which is uh, the beginning of September. So, um, you know, be looking at if you wanted to get on board, it would probably be mid to late September, early October. October before I could get anybody back on board right now. It's just uh, with the way things are, I want to make sure that, you know, we take care of you properly, uh, that, you know, I can communicate with you and get things done right. So um, anyway, I I really thank you for listening. I thank you all guys for all of your support and everything that you mean to me. I want to thank my Patreon supporters for keeping this going. Um, uh, you know, it's, it really is an honor and a privilege to be able to do this. I really enjoy doing it. So thank you. And until next time, keep running and keep moving forward, my friends.